Please note, this episode contains depictions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Welcome to Future in Flux, Achieving Equity in Learning and Work. I'm Eugenie Innes from JFF. In this series, I'll be talking with worker learners at Crossroads to find out the challenges they're facing. And I'll talk with experts with solutions. It's not uncommon to change careers at midlife. Michael Cavallo was one of those career changers. It happened as a result of a personal tragedy, which we'll get to later. He grew up poor in public housing in Fall River, Massachusetts. But by his 20s, he was doing pretty well for himself. I was uh, blessed to get get into an apprenticeship, as, and it was back in the day, it was from uh, Local 1305 with the Carpenters Union. I was blessed to get, you know, uh, certified and become a union carpenter, being able to travel all over the United States. It allowed me to learn different cultures and learn different atmospheres that I would, I would have never had the opportunity to uh, experience. Michael entered carpentry without a lot of planning. He was 19, about a year out of high school, working at a pizza parlor where he became the manager. But he realized his options to grow were limited. At that point in time, what happened is I came home and I went through the newspaper and there was an advertisement in there as, as looking for apprentice, carpenters, apprentice and such. Not knowing anything about the union or not knowing anything about those opportunities because we were never picked to go into those uh, fields. I turned around and I made the call and I was accepted. And I went down to on Beffitt Street in Fall River and I applied and the guy accepted me and told me that I would be stunned as an apprentice at the Coppins Local 1305. But then life intervened back in 2017 in a traumatic way. It started with a knock on the door and a person thinking that they were at the house that they were and it was a mistake of identity. Within seconds, I was shot with a 38 an inch away from my heart. Next thing you know, I was shot with the 45 and it threw me across the room. The girl that was apparently thought she was in the house that she was in, thought there was money in the house and such. When they found out that they were in the wrong house, they decided that they, and this is from what they had said, let's just kill them. I was shot three more times with the 38 and throw out my stomach and such. And then the gentleman that turned around and put the 45 to my head, which would have been the one that put me out, is what they called it. He pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. As Michael put it when speaking with me, he was blessed. His life was spared, but his problems weren't over. Without insurance, he was sent home from the hospital to fend for himself. It took him weeks to recover and he needed a lot of help. He got some assistance when a coworker checked up on him. And that made him think about a new career direction. I realized that, you know, if I'm like this, how many other people are like this and how many other people are suffering in the world? So at that point in time is when I decided to change my career and get into the healthcare field to help others who were unfortunate, less fortunate as me. He's now a personal care assistant, also known as a PCA, and he's part of a union. And it's run through the Mass Health program, which I think is a fabulous program. And the consumer is considered a person that needs help, such as doing groceries, bathing, eating, uh, medication, and things like that. And that's how I came into contact with A. 
he was the first person I called. And after four people, he called me back and said, look, I'm looking for someone that can help me out. And I went and I was hired just like that. But before that door opened, Michael had gone to his local career center in the Boston area looking for help in switching from carpentry to healthcare. I went down to the career center and I went down to, to the, you know, uh, to look for advice and look for leadership or, or, you know, programs that I could get into and such. And I was basically met with discouragement. And the reason why I say that is because when I went to the career center, they, they turned around and, and basically tried to stick me into pro other programs and such. And I was like, no, I want to go into healthcare. And I, I tried and I tried. And, and after five actual visits, physical visits at the career center, each time I went there, they were like, well, we have an opening over here. And I was like, I don't think I'm speaking in a different language. I want to go into healthcare." And I was never told about any kind of grants or anything to get me into the healthcare. Out of frustration, Michael became more proactive and navigated a career in healthcare through the back door. Through many Google searches and advice from friends, he found his way to a mentorship program as a PCA. But I had to wonder, why can't the Career Center help him do this? Why didn't they listen to what he said he needed? I discussed Michael's situation with my colleague, Josh Copez, director at JFF Labs, who currently leads the AWAKE initiative. AWAKE stands for Advanced Workforce Analytics and Knowledge Exchange. Through AWAKE, JFF partners with workforce boards and American job centers to support workers as they navigate career challenges. Copas said job centers aren't always equipped to respond to the unique needs of every client, but believes there are some things they're doing right. Walk into a job search center in one state and the experience could be completely different than the other. That's actually good because these centers can customize their approach to the state or the region or the zip code. On the other hand, it's bad when there is no uniformity or consistency across geography, even within a state or across the 2,500 American job centers. That's more job centers than there are Bed Bath & Beyonds. So if you think about you know, the incredible scale of that system and about how many of these retail outlets exist where people should theoretically receive you know, career services, receive the kinds of support that, that Michael was looking for, there are certain things that are common about the experience that we all have when we're in transition. We're experiencing you know, fear of what's next. Like Michael, we're coming in with a certain set of traumas, whether that's physical trauma, whether that's emotional trauma. We're coming in with a certain set of preconceived notions about the degree to which we can even trust institutions and trust government to help us. And we have a wide spectrum of skills and experiences. By asking what we ask job centers to do, we're asking them to develop a set of interventions and strategies that respond to the very diverse set of needs of a spectrum of 20 million people a year. When you think about you know, some of the, I won't call them characteristics, I will call them actually some of the experiences that people come into an American job center with, you know, that's lack of information, very limited digital literacy skills. Some of them have very limited social capital very limited financial resource. And some job seekers might not need a new job. They just came in because their car broke down and they can't get to work. Some, like Michael, have multiple needs. He needed to get back on his feet financially while he was healing from his injuries. 
And the career center might have decided that the easiest way for him to make money fast was to do what he was doing before, carpentry. The challenge, Copa says, is to capitalize on the potential of all of those centers through a uniform set of resources, not only for job searching, but for the many issues connected to work. So how do we ensure that job centers are equipped to meet all of those demands? Copus identifies four ways. First, move toward a human-centered or customer-centered design. Many of these job centers over decades have grown in many ways to be an amalgamation of different federal and state jobs and training programs. When you walk into some American job centers, you will literally be presented with a front desk and then there will be a sea of cubicles. And there's one person in a cubicle that manages the WIOA program. There's one person in the, in the cubicles that manages their veterans program. There's another person in a cubicle that manages another type of program. That is not a very customer-focused way of providing services. That would be as though you went into your, went into your local grocery store and you had to wait in line for a cart. You had to check out that cart at a checkout line. And then in the grocery store, none of the aisles are necessarily labeled. Uh, you came in for produce, but you'll find that the fruit is located in the far east side of the store. The vegetables are located in the far west side of the store. Next, he says, make them opportunity-oriented. And by opportunity-oriented, I mean they've expanded their purview beyond WIOA. They've managed to identify additional partners and identify uh, additional tactics to help support people and employers in the way that they need supported based on the unique needs of that locality that they're serving. Job centers should also make use of technology and up-to-date tools, like the ones used in quasi-government agencies. Finally, the centers should use the data they collect to see whether the changes they're making really do help workers and learners rely on them. I spent almost 10 years in the policy realm trying to educate uh, lawmakers and others about the, the value of investing in workforce development and job training. But I started to realize, you know, how many of those recommendations, how much money we were investing in these systems without necessarily having access to the level of data and information about the, the performance of these systems and the experiences that we were providing through these organizations to responsibly make some of those decisions. COPA says organizations have collected a vast amount of qualitative and quantitative data, but they need tools to parse through it all and really understand it in order to help them meet the demands of workers and learners. That's what JFF's initiative, Outcomes for Opportunity, will do. We will actually be taking the lead working with a select number of workforce boards across the, the country to co-develop tools and products, not entirely different from the idea of a smartwatch to allow workforce boards and American job centers to better aggregate and understand uh, what's happening within their organizations and their systems so that they can make improvements upon that. What we are seeing is local workforce boards and American job centers are in fact finding innovative ways to respond to the new realities of today's dynamic economy by applying the four defining characteristics Josh mentioned in order to meet the diverse needs of workers and emerging industries. Organizations like Spokane Workforce Council and the San Diego Workforce Partnership are prime examples of American job centers that are beginning to adapt 
and provide more human-centered services to individuals. Most of the progress in the early stages of Outcomes for Opportunity will be shared on the JFF website at jff.org. As for Michael, he's thriving in his career as a personal care attendant. I've made change in people's lives. I know because there, there's one guy that, that I met on the street. You know, he needed some resources. I, I got him the, the mental health he, he needed and such. And now he's a chef working at, at the Encore uh, restaurant over there at the casino. And he doesn't have hard feelings about not getting the specific help he needed from his career center. But as a helper himself, he wants to make sure these centers are useful to others. This has been Future in Flux. For more information about this series or any other workforce development tools and ideas, go to www.jff.org.